This is K.M. Wyland, and you're listening to the 449th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. I finished my first full edit for my Portal Fantasy sequel, Dreambreaker, this week. And I had to laugh this morning when I happened to look through a post I'd written last summer saying I was shooting for 120,000 words on this book. Haha, a year later, here I am, having ended up with 220,000 words. I was hoping to cut 20,000 in this first edit, but only managed eight. That's the bad news. The other bad news, which I guess is also kind of good news, is that I plot and write pretty tight these days, which is good for the writing and bad when you want to trim word count. So if this edit is any indication, this may end up being my longest book yet. Still not Brandon Sanderson or Patrick Rothfuss level length. And as I always say, a book needs to be as long as it needs to be. So on to the next edit. Before we continue to today's topic, I want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Demonza, the cover design company who I've trusted to do all my covers for many years now. It has taken endless blood, sweat, and tears, but you've done it. You've written your magnum opus, a book that you're truly proud of and that you want to get in front of as many eyes as possible. After all, a book without someone to read it is just a stack of rather expensive paper and ink. And that's what demonza.com does. They get people reading. Having designed thousands of book covers, including those of New York Times and USA Today bestsellers, they understand that people do judge books by their covers, and they know how to make that judgment a positive one. So don't let your blood, sweat, and tears go to waste. There's never been a better time to make your book awesome with demonza.com. In partnership with Helping Writers Become Authors, Demonza.com is offering listeners a discount of 10% on not just cover design, but all of their self-publishing services, copy editing, formatting, book trailers, and more. Simply visit Demonza.com authors and enter the promo code authors. That's Demonza.com authors and promo code authors for 10% and now I hope you enjoy today's topic, how to choose your book's plot points. You've got a story and you've got characters who are doing stuff in that story. That means you've got a plot, but how do you know if you've got your characters doing the right stuff at the right time? At first glance, this seems intuitive. Story is, or should be, a chain of causes and effects. Something happens and that causes something else to happen. Nothing could be more sensible. But the realities of plotting are more complicated. If you're attempting a specific artistic effect, and you should be, then it's probably not going to suffice to just let your story's events pour onto the page at random. Instead, you're going to need to carefully plan each major structural moment and everything in between to create that end effect you're going for. Regardless whether your personal method favors plotting or pantsing, Applying an understanding of structure to your story offers you a great advantage. Once you understand story's fundamental framework, you can then make informed decisions about how to create your best possible hook, inciting event, first plot point, midpoint, third plot point, climax, and so on. However, sometimes this sounds simpler and more obvious than it is in actual application, as evidenced by so many recent stories. These well-intentioned stories usually succeed in presenting plots that feature plausible chains 
of cause and effect. But because they haven't optimized their structural integrity, they still end up failing in their chief mandate, offering stories of heart and soul. The recent outlaw king about Robert the Bruce's final bid for Scottish independence is, I feel, a particularly good learning opportunity. On its surface, there isn't much to critique. The plot is a decent chain of causes and effects. The structural pieces are all in place. The story is one of wrenching sacrifice and determination. And yet, as more than one review has stated, the writing didn't have a lot of heart. And here's the thing. This story could easily have had it all. It's all there waiting to be mined. A better understanding of structure and theme would have created better organization, which would have incalculably amplified the story's power, effectiveness, and yes, heart. So if that sounds like something you'd like to accomplish in your own story, let's take a look at just how to make it happen. So what is plot? This almost rhetorical question gets bandied about a lot by the writing intelligentsia. There are many, many responses because plot actually remains a surprisingly abstract concept. But here's my answer for today. Plot is pacing. From a certain perspective, structure is about nothing more or less than controlling a story's pacing for optimal entertainment value. And since we're defining stuff, let's define entertainment for what it really is. Emotional impact. If you want to keep your audience's attention, that is, entertain them, then you've got to engage them personally and primally. Obviously, there are varying levels of this, everything from mildly funny jokes to life-changingly empathic experiences. But the principle remains the same. Engage the emotions. What this means is that each structural beat, particularly the major turning points at the first plot point, midpoint, and third plot point, should be designed to control pacing in order to create the optimal emotional effect upon audiences. But this only works when the author understands and utilizes these structural beats properly. Now, to understand what can happen when you choose the wrong plot points, here's a quick overview of how Outlaw King is structured and therefore paced. Hook. The Scottish lords, including Bruce, unhappily surrendered to King Edward I of England and swear fealty. Inciting event. The timing tells us the inciting event is Bruce's marriage to Edward's goddaughter. But the true inciting event is the riot he witnesses when Wallace's dismembered arm is displayed publicly. First plot point. Bruce appeals to his rival for the crown, John Comyn, to help him fight the English. Comyn threatens to betray him, and Bruce murders him. Bruce is subsequently crowned King of Scots. First pinch point. The English treacherously attack Bruce's camp the night before an agreed-upon battle. His followers are slaughtered, and he is forced to go on the run. Midpoint. Bruce flees to Ireland, while his wife and daughter are imprisoned and two of his brothers killed. Second pinch point. Bruce finally returns to Scotland and starts taking back some of the castles, which spurs the English to pursue him with promises of no quarter. Third plot point. Bruce and his followers prepare their first pitched battle against the English at Loudon Hill. Climax. They enter battle. Climactic moment. They are triumphant, and the English retreat. Resolution. Bruce wins. His family is returned to him. Scotland is free. So... What's wrong with this picture, other than the messy, inciting event? At first glance, it might seem like everything is in place. 
But the single biggest problem is that the structural beats get weaker and weaker and weaker as the story progresses instead of growing stronger and more powerful. Whereas the midpoint should be the single greatest turning point in the entire story, shifting the protagonist from reaction to action, here the protagonist's actions are almost passive. He won't actively regroup until another eighth of the story has passed. And when the second pinch does arrive, Bruce's return to Scotland and immediate triumph in regaining his own castle seems to be almost taken for granted. This isn't, however, a problem that starts with the story's midpoints. Rather, this is a problem that originates in a poor choice of structural beats and a correlated poor control of pacing. Actually, the events of Bruce's life post-Wallace create a naturally compelling three-act story. His decision to claim the crown and rebel, then his exile from and return to Scotland, and then his hard-fought triumph. On the surface, that's exactly what this story gives us, except inexplicably, it cuts out Bannockburn. And as anyone familiar with Scottish history knows, the Battle of Bannockburn was the finale of Bruce's triumphant story. The Battle of Loudon Hill, which ends the story, was only the beginning of Bruce's eventually victorious campaign against the English, and as such, it feels rightfully anticlimactic. Honestly, I'm agape at how anyone could decide, hey, we're going to tell a story about Robert the Bruce and not end the story with Bannockburn. From a structural point of view, and therefore a dramatic point of view, Bannockburn is the obvious point of the story. It's the single structural moment that is tailor-made for this story's climax. More than that, it is astonishingly dramatic, not least in Bruce's opening duel against Henry de Bohun, a gambit that is historically celebrated as one of the most impressive instances of single combat. Nevertheless, understanding Bannockburn's appropriateness for the climax reveals an entirely different and better organized structure for the story. Let's take a look at how this story's plot points might have been rearranged and strengthened for a more powerful overall effect. Hook. The Scottish lords, including Bruce, unhappily surrendered to King Edward I of England and swear fealty. This is still a good choice for the opening scene. It's clearly the first domino in the events of the conflict to follow. It begins the story in Media's Rays without omitting anything important. And by starting after the demise of the famous William Wallace, it squarely centers this as Bruce's story. Inciting event. Bruce witnesses the public display of Wallace's dismembered arm and the subsequent riot. The inciting event is the moment that defines the entire story to follow. As such, its timing is important. By delaying this scene until almost the quarter mark in the story, which crowds it up against the first plot point and the end of the first act, in favor of Bruce's awkward relationship with his new wife, the film muddied its through line. Is this a story about Bruce and Elizabeth or Bruce and Scotland? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with emphasizing and developing a relationship subplot. Indeed, I'd argue Elizabeth's scenes end up being the most interesting and compelling of the story. But this shouldn't happen at the expense of the story's cohesion. A story's major structural moments create its backbone and as such must be unified. This is where timing becomes an important part of pacing. Readers and viewers instinctively respond to the timing in a story. When story requires nearly a quarter of its length to get to the inciting event, its focus muddies. 
key event. Were this my story, I would have tied the timing of Bruce's murder of Komen in more tightly with the call to adventure, which happens in the inciting event. In a busy story that covers a lengthy period of time, there is not space to waste. By tightening up the first act to provide better timing for the inciting event, this far more consequential scene with Komen could be given more weight, leading directly to the first plot point when Bruce is crowned king and immediately goes to battle against the English, who treacherously attack his camp the night before the agreed-upon battle, his followers are slaughtered, and he is forced to go on the run. Now that the setup of the first act is complete, we have reached the story proper, Bruce's fight against the English. And since we're just now entering the second act, we still have plenty of time in which to explore and develop the main conflict. First pinch point. The first half of the second act is all about the protagonist's reactions to the consequences of the first plot point. This is where he will struggle, futilely, as often as not, to regain his balance. This, of course, means this section of the story would be the perfect place for Bruce to feel the full impact of his choices, then leading up to a first pinch point when he goes into exile in Ireland for the winter, knowing he has left his family and his country in devastation behind him. Midpoint. Now that we've accomplished a tighter first half for this story, we have the time and the space to leverage a truly important moment for the story's centerpiece, Bruce's return to Scotland. This event is a tremendously important moment in both the story's plot and its character development. As such, it deserves to be developed from the inside out. In addition to providing the protagonist a swivel point from reaction to action in the exterior plot, the midpoint should also function as a moment of truth within the character's interior arc. Unfortunately, this was a tremendous missed opportunity in Outlaw King. As a historical figure, Robert the Bruce presents an almost perfect character arc, from a shilly-shallying political opportunist to an all-in king of his people. But the story doesn't even touch that. Had it spent its opening scenes more wisely in setting up the foundation for Bruce's inner evolution from lie to truth, it could have added depth and meaning to its otherwise straightforward account of medieval brutality. As it is, the story sends Bruce back to Scotland at the second pinch with no more dramatic grist than a grim face and a little patter from his buddy about the efficacy of vengeance. How much better to mine this moment as a personal sea change? What might have started for Bruce as his one shot to grab the crown has suddenly become eminently important on a deeply personal level. Now, is that how it went for the real Bruce? Maybe, maybe not. But telling a story means telling a story. Second pinch point. Now, finally, we come to the proper place for the Battle of Loudon Hill. Here, Bruce sets up for his first battle against the English. He is just now starting to stick it to his enemies. He wins, but he feels the pinch as he suffers great losses. The death of his young vassal arguably works even better here since it only raises the stakes for what is yet to come. Third plot point. So many action stories these days either skip the third plot point or use it simply as a turning point into the beginning of their final climactic battle. Again, it's a timing issue. They want enough time to pull off 
an epic battle. But in skipping or glossing over what should be one of the most impactful moments in a story, they almost inevitably gut their story's emotional impact. The third plot point represents the dark night of the soul for the protagonist. Even if what happens here isn't literally the worst thing that happens in the entire story, it is an event that prompts the protagonist to reconsider his actions. And just as importantly in a positive change arc, his devotion to his newfound truth. Without this moment, the power of the character's willingness to make sacrifices for that truth, thereby proving the true scope of his personal change, lacks all teeth. When I'm plotting my own stories, I don't pull punches with major plot points, including the third plot point. Always, I try to create an event for this structural moment that is suitably impressive, something that at least symbolizes death, since that is what is represented here for the protagonist's inner journey as he once and for all dies to the old lie-driven self and steps consciously into the truth surrendered self. However, even just a deep moment of personal doubt experienced by the character on the eve before battle is better than nothing. At least pay heed to the emotional downbeat needed here before the rise into the final confrontation of your climax. Climax. In Outlaw King, that climax should have been the Battle of Bannockburn because with the finality of this battle, the story, too, reaches its looked-for end. The war is won, Scotland is free, Bruce is king. And the resolution. When you end the story where it belongs, you have no need to sum up all the good action in a few quick summaries at the end. Instead, you can focus on a scene that demonstrably shows how the character and his world have been changed by the story's events. Now, although Outlaw King's historical background provides easy examples to draw from in reorganizing its particular structural challenges, the same principles apply when you're writing straight up fiction. In fact, when you have total control over your plot and characters, you have even more leeway, and I would argue more responsibility, for creating dynamic and well-organized structures. So start looking for the most important and impactful moments in your story and mindfully make the most of them by placing them each in the right place at the right time in your character's personal journeys. And tell me your opinion. How did you choose your story's plot points? If you'd like to be a part of the community over on my site and join in the conversation on this subject, be sure to stop by the website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. You can always find a transcript of the most recent podcast and add your voice to the discussion by visiting the first post on the site's homepage. And don't forget that if you're looking for an older post, you can always find those by putting the podcast title in the search field at the top of the right-hand column. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Helping Writers Become Authors, I would totally appreciate it if you'd consider taking the time to leave a quick rating or review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening to the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast, and be sure to check back again next week.